Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program... One of the themes for this year's International Women's Day is Be Without Limits. Pushing past that fear, Mm -hmm. pushing past that imposter syndrome, pushing past that little voice in your head saying you can't do it. And for me personally, I felt that all the time. I felt, okay, I don't have a degree. I felt I don't have X, Y, and Z, but I didn't look at what I did have. Mm -hmm. So you'll hear more inspiring conversations coming up later in the program. Also, I'll discuss the humanitarian impact of care with President and CEO Michelle Nunn, as well as we'll talk about continuing challenges and economic strides women are making in various parts of the world. And then I'll speak with the Imani Women's Center in Clarkston, their founder, Doris Makungo, who talks about the mission, which is rooted in serving African women refugees once they arrive in Georgia. And then also. This is why, for me, Zanona Clayton, is a shero because she is a woman who exemplifies the African proverb that says, huh, when women lead, streams run uphill. Whew, wait till you hear the rest from Janetta Cole talking about her friend honoring trailblazing journalist and civil rights champion Zernona Clayton. All that's ahead for International Women's Day. But first, once again, we'll talk about a bill connected to gambling that failed to make any movement this legislative session. Even though it was pushed to legalize online sports betting here in Georgia, WABE politics reporter Sam Greenglass explains why it's unlikely to make it through the legislature this year. The proponents of legalizing some gambling in Georgia saw HB 380 as their best avenue. The bill would have allowed online sports betting, funneling the tax revenue into the HOPE scholarship and pre-K programs. It left out some tricky questions about horse racing and casinos. But in the end, the votes were just not there, says Speaker John Burns. Well, you know, sports betting has been thoroughly vetted. We were close. We made some advancements in sports betting. It takes a lot of education to make sure you can get things uh, across the finish line with our members. This year was not the right time for it in the House. Gambling has faced perennial opposition from some lawmakers and religious groups like the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. But this is just the first in a two-year legislative session, so supporters can try their bill again next year. Sam Greenglass, WABE News. In other news, Atlanta is one of five Georgia police departments pledging to improve the representation and experiences of women in law enforcement. It's connected to a 30 by 30 pledge initiative, and Shemaine Cruz has more. Nationwide, women make up 12 percent of sworn officers and 3 percent of police leaders. But experts say women officers use less excessive force, are named in fewer complaints and lawsuits, and see better outcomes for crime victims, especially in sexual assault cases. So the 30 by 30 initiative aims to engage 30 percent of women in police recruit classes by 2030. Atlanta police say about 16 percent of the department is currently made up of sworn female employees, and 28 percent of current recruits are female. Clark Atlanta University, Clark County Sheriff's Office, Emory University, and Savannah Police Department have also signed the 30 by 30 pledge. Shemaine Cruz, WABE News. Coming up next, International Women's Day. We're back in a moment.
Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. And Closer Look continues now from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. International Women's Day marks a global awareness to celebrate the social, economic, cultural, and political achievements of women. And it's also to bring greater awareness to systemic challenges millions of women and girls still endure throughout various parts of the world. And today we're going to profile the work of three women, their lifelong work, and reflect on what this day represents globally to them. We'll begin with the familiar face and voice to this program, Michelle Nunn, President and CEO of Care USA, headquartered here in Atlanta. We've been talking for many years now. Michelle, welcome. We have. It's really wonderful to be with you, Rose, always, and especially on International Women's Day and in the company of these amazing change agents that you have uh, assembled today. Doris and Zenona, yeah. Well, I, I, what do you say about these women? Let's start with Zenona. I mean, where do you even begin? I mean, uh, it is it is uh, these are women that that as you, as Janetta said uh, make make streams run uphill and um, and you know the the good news is that they are exemplary but also um, and and historic figure really, mm-hmm. but uh, but also in good company and there are women uh, around the world today that are taking up the mantle and the call and that are uh, and really. Um, asserting uh, women's rights mm-hmm. in ways that are uh, that are also historic. We've come a long way. We talk about from a global effort, particularly in so many parts of the world where there are still so many systemic challenges. So we've come a long way, but there's still a lot more work to do. I remember back when you first, uh, I think you were on this program maybe even a month when you took over at CARE, and you talked about some of the initiatives that you all wanted to focus on empowering women, but through an economic lens was such a big, big initiative for you. How would you assess how you all have been able to do that? Yeah. Well, you know, I think the the if you just sort of step back and you think about the global trajectory around poverty and around women's rights, there's there's lots of ways in which we could um I think see the last couple of decades from from the uh, trajectory of uh of an arc forward. Mm-hmm. And yet over the last couple of years we have seen tremendous challenge and regression. And so we know COVID and during the COVID uh, pandemic that women suffered disproportionately and and from an economic perspective were farther uh, displaced, further displaced. And, um, and we know that, for instance, that the ever elusive gender equality is becoming harder and harder to see the horizon on. So I, I heard somebody quote today that it's gone from 100 plus years to 300 years. Mm. So um, the, the forces that impact uh, the world, again, whether that's a pandemic or whether that's a conflict or whether that's climate justice, justice and climate change, it, it is hitting women hardest because they were already most vulnerable mm-hmm. and, and marginalized because they're unequal. So COVID is still a, a, a factor for, and I know it was a factor for you all in trying to continue to do your work, but COVID is still a, a major, major hurdle, obstacle well, the, right now for so many women in other parts of the world. The displacement, I would say that it's what's happened now is some of the forces that COVID triggered, including losses of jobs, of economic opportunity, of inflationary forces, now combined with the Ukrainian conflict, with supply chain challenges, all of those have converged to pull women back. And uh, and so I think what we need to do is uh, recharge our efforts, and especially on a day like today, where we both celebrate women, but we also look hard into the face of the inequity that they face around the world, we uh, we say we can do better, and we have to accelerate progress. And you know, for a care pers- from a care perspective, as an example, Rose, one of the things that you and I talked about when we started is care has uh, the largest group of women who save together in the world. So mm-hmm. uh, it started with thirty women in Niger. I think when we talked seven or eight years ago, we were probably at about nine or 10 million. Now we've engaged 17 million and we're on a trajectory to get to 60 million. But there are 800 million unbanked women in the world. So we still have a long way to go and a big opportunity, I think, for women to stand in solidarity with other women around the world. 800 
million women in the world considered un, unbanked, not just underbanked, but unbanked. Unbanked, unbanked. And so, um, and you know, then you think about the, these women who are facing, uh, you know, extraordinary difficulty. They're the ones that are also facing the brunt of climate change so often. They're the smallholder farmers uh, that are facing hunger, ironically, even as farmers. And, um, but we have the opportunity, and there is a huge economic upside. I just read a statistic because I was in India. And um, after COVID, the, uh, the formal workforce, it was a study that said that the formal uh, percentage of women in the workforce in India had gotten down to about 10%. Mm. If that uh, changed and they were formally incorporated into the economy, by 2050, India would increase its GDP by 30%. So imagine the trajectory of what good can happen in the world economically if women are given a fair chance. So let's get some specifics here for our listeners. The initiative you just spoke about, one one initiative, but are there certain areas that you all still need to get into and, and you have a maybe a different approach with an initiative? Because it could be based on cultural or traditional Things that you don't want to go in and, and tell a community how they should treat women and girls, but you have to be mindful of those of those areas and of those those cultures and, and, and rituals and traditions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, first of all, our our work is based out of community and is led by community members themselves. And so that's where change starts. Um, and and so all of the work that we do is centered around, again, that local uh, leadership and women leading, but also men and boys in partnership leading. And that's, again, where we see the change. So a couple of examples, maybe just to highlight where progress is possible so we don't get... Uh, mm-hmm. We don't get discouraged. So I mentioned the savings program again. So uh, the the capacity to give women uh, the opportunity to save. I, I met a woman in Tanzania. She showed me how she had taken out a little bit of money from her fellow uh, women community members. Uh, and she bought a couple of chickens. And when I met her, uh, she introduced me to 3,000 chickens in her backyard. So, you know, this, uh, th- you know, the women can multiply mm-hmm. and completely expand the potential if they're just able to work together in solidarity. So those uh, women who may be unbanked, we want to focus on, on them. We also focus, CARE focuses on women smallholder farmers. Mm-hmm. If you look at the numbers in Asia, in Africa, Women are actually doing the majority of the farming work, but they don't have equal access to markets. You can imagine, like they they don't have as uh, they can't um, do the same bargaining as men. They don't get as much training and technical assistance uh, from um, from from governmental entities. If they had a, if they had equal access, uh, it's estimated that women could produce 150 food for 150 million more people. So CARE has a program we call Farmer Field and Business School. Our goal is to get to 25 million more women smallholder farmers. And we're on our way towards that with about 10 million. And then the third area that I would just highlight is, you know, we just came through a pandemic. Think about, so who carried the brunt of the care, vaccination, and uh, and frontline health? It was women. 70% to 90% of those caregivers are women. And so one of the things we need to do, there's an estimated 18 million uh, person gap in terms of the number of frontline caregivers that we need in the world. Mm-hmm. And those are going to come from women. So we need to support them. We need to equip them. And we need to make sure that they are lifted up. And frankly, that they're getting the dollars and the support that they need. If you just joined us, I'm in conversation with Michelle Nunn. She's Care USA's president and CEO, headquartered right here in Atlanta. And of course, since the last time I think we spoke, we we've had a, a, a war in Ukraine and in Russia. Obviously, we've I think I think maybe the U.S. had pulled out of Afghanistan. I can't remember because I've had so many conversations with you. But there's been some a lot of life changing. Uh, situations have happened for women in those particular areas. Let's start with Ukraine. Uh, What efforts are you all, are you able to help over there? Yeah, so CARE has been mobilizing uh, since the conflict just over a year ago, um, and uh, we are currently doing some things concurrently. So a year into the conflict, there is there is the need for the continued emergency 
hygiene kits, water, basic shelter for those who are living in the in the midst of the conflict zone. And then you have millions of people within Ukraine who are displaced. So, you know, for instance, there were about a uh, hundred shelters in Ukraine um, a, a year ago. There are now seven thousand shelters that can that can um, actually house five hundred thousand people. But you're we're supporting people who are in you know a very vulnerable positions. A lot of them might be older, mm-hmm. uh, disabled. A lot of them are women are women and girls, and uh, and that's within the country. And then millions of people have left Ukraine, and they're trying mm-hmm. to rebuild their lives. So CARE has been doing work in places like Poland, where they have they're trying to integrate more than a million people into their into their countries. They're doing uh, quite an amazing job. But for instance, CARE is a program where we're employing Ukrainian refugee teachers to mm-hmm. teach Ukrainian children in the Polish school system as a bridge towards them rebuilding their lives. So we're doing all of that at the same time, and. Uh, uh, and we need to make sure that we're standing in solidarity with the Ukrainian people because their suffering has not abated. From social justice, gender equality, uh, economic mobility, all those efforts, obviously health and wellness as well. When you look at the time you've been uh, under care, and I don't know if you do a self-assessment, maybe your board does, I don't know what that looks like, but I, I remember you, you saying you wanted to improve, increase the ultimate number of people that you are reaching. Uh, how, where is that number right now? How do you assess? I mean, it, it seems silly to say, how do you assess your effectiveness? Because you are reaching people. Let's be clear about that. Yeah. But you wanted that number to increase. You wanted to get, get it beyond 50 million people in crisis. Yeah. Well, um, we have good and bad news. Uh, from a good news perspective, care is reaching more people than we ever have in our entire history. Um, and so that's you know ranging on any given year from 180 million to 200 million people. Um, the bad news is that uh, that some of those numbers are be, being driven by the humanitarian crisis in the world. Mm-hmm. So, again, we had our our um, the most uh, impact, and we also um, have the most need that we've seen in the world in decades in terms of the number of refugee uh, that those who are are displaced from their homes, uh, also the number of people that are living in hunger, and so uh, the. The fact is that um, not just care, but the global community is not keeping pace with the needs in the world. Mm-hmm. And and what's also happening, Rose, is that um, you know the the proportionality of, for instance, our crisis response to our long term development, which is where you get people out of poverty mm-hmm. and you're not just dealing with the immediate situation. We are are the world is spending less on that long term development. Care and other INGOs are spending less, and so. So we're in danger of losing the progress that we've made in the arc of uh, of bringing that um, the number of people that are living in poverty down. Mm -hmm. So that's where we have to redouble our efforts, um, both in terms of recognizing we can't have compassion fatigue. We have to continue to stand in solidarity with those who are suffering around the world. And we have to be investing in the long term because we need to equip people for resiliency, especially as we face the headwinds of climate change, for instance. When you talk about equipping people and in your leadership role, and, and everyone's going to get this question today, how do you see yourself as a leader and a mentor for other women who want to work in this space on a global landscape? Mm. Well, um, I it's a good challenge, and I, I do think that what gives me hope and inspiration is when I have the chance to uh, to see amazing young people who are ready to uh, to create transformational change. Mm-hmm. I'm in Washington, D.C. today. I'm with a group of advocates from around the country who've uh, taken up the mantle. They've invested their own resources. They're volunteering their time and they're meeting with congressional members. And they're saying we have to stand with women around the world and we have to continue to invest from a U.S. government perspective. People think that we're giving, you know, 25, 50 percent of our of our total budget around the world. We give less than one cent on every dollar in international in, in international aid. So um, my my hope is that I can stand with people around this country 
who are uh, wanting to, to ensure that we stand in solidarity with women around the world, that we fight what, as we think about President Carter over these last weeks, you know, one of the things he identified was that um, the biggest human rights challenge of our time remains gender equality. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and my hope is to stand with these uh, women in our own country, these young women, and also to stand with the women that I get the chance to meet around the world, whose voices are not always lifted up, but who we need to center in our humanitarian response in our advocacy and in pursuing peace if we want to achieve the kind of world that we want to achieve. So I hope I can be a mentor and a supporter and also stand um, together and, you know, learn also from these change agents, this next generation of change agents. All right. Care USA President and CEO Michelle Nunn. As always, good conversation. Thank you for taking the time. Happy International Women's Day. Thanks, Rose. I'm going to listen in to the amazing women that you're going to be talking to for the rest of the hour. All right. Thank you. Closer Look continues on this International Women's Day. To mark this global recognition, each year, Goodwill of North Georgia and Accenture team up to bring together women from various industries and workforce experiences as they share their professional and personal journeys. I serve as a moderator for this year's event. And as we begin the panel, panel discussion, I asked each woman to reflect on the theme this year for them, which was Be Without Limits. So you will hear from Hoi Ming Kyu with the Home, with the home Depot. Veronica Lightburn, uh, she's an accenture and past graduate of Goodwill of North Georgia's training programs. Allison Rand, who's with Primerica. Erica Bolton, who is with Mercedes-Benz USA. And Amy Fong with the Atlanta Hawks. Be without limits. And so uh, I'm going to start with Hoi Ming. What does that mean to you? I, it means, I, I don't think you, um, I mean, I, <laughs> if I go back to uh, some of the heartwarming, you know, speech, it, it really moves me. Uh, I think about myself, I came here 20 years ago uh, as a grad student, and uh, I got a lot of help from uh, the donations. I get my um, bed, like literally it's a room of that thing. I have a bed, like my uh, dinnerwares, and everything that I got actually is, is from the donations. And um, my parents never imagined that I'm going to be sitting here working for the largest uh, uh, home improvement retailers. And doing what I'm dreaming to do. Like, they told me that I just want to become a, a scientist. <laughs> um, but the limit is, I don't think anyone uh, has a limit in their mind, although we are probably informed by how we grew up, what my parents is, what my sisters is, and you know, what people surrounding you sort of give you an image of that's likely where you wanted to be or where you're likely going to be, that's implicit limit Mm -hmm. to me. And I I would say that not only don't have any explicit limits, break those implicit limits as well, and just be like maybe the people that you've never met, maybe like be the one that uh, you never imagined. And that's, I think, why I got here, and um, that's what I tell my kids as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, being without limits. I think being without limits means pushing past that fear, mm-hmm. pushing past that imposter syndrome, pushing past that little voice in your head saying you can't do it. And for me personally, I felt that all the time. I felt, okay, I don't have a degree. I felt I don't have X, Y, and Z, but I didn't look at what I did have. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's pushing past that fear, pushing past whatever you feel as if it's going to limit you. It's it's not. There are no limits. So I I think it's really leaning into yourself and following what you believe you can do because you can do it. Whatever it is, you can. Leaning into yourself. I like that. Mm -hmm. Allison? 
Um, yeah, it's interesting. When Winifred was speaking, I, I kept thinking... Pastor Winifred. Um, <laughs> Pastor Winifred. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I kept thinking that she's describing all these limits we face throughout our careers, and I'm like, what limits? And I don't mean that to be flippant. Mm -hmm. I mean it that I sort of went through, I was the youngest of four kids. I went away to a college where it had 50,000 people. I knew absolutely nobody. So from day one, I always sort of dropped myself in the boiling water. And I think, and I, I just, I'm so excited to say this, I announced my retirement yesterday. So being at, being at this, yeah, I know, yay. But being at this stage of my career, I'm looking back, I'm doing a lot of looking back. And the limits are the limits you place on yourself, okay? Because people said this limit, this limit in my career. I said, I didn't have those limits. I did, but I didn't see them. So I think the better we can get, and I hate to say put the blinders on, but the better you can get at not letting those limits take over your mentality, you know, the stronger you're going to be. I am in a predominantly male role. Um, when my company went public, you know, I was the lady who wore the stilettos. That's how I got known. And people would always judge me as somebody who was just in the room. And they'd start asking those questions, and you start spitting out those answers, and you show your confidence. Mm -hmm. And if you have confidence in yourself, there are no limits. So in my mind, you control the limits yourself, and your own confidence and your self-worth and your own brand you create in your own mind is what gets you past them. All right, thank you. Erica. Yeah. For me, I would say it's, it's pushing beyond the perception of what others think that you can or cannot do, right? So if I think about my ancestors, you know, female ancestors, people of color, the things that they legally could not do, um, but they, they pursued and did it anyway, right? Um, and, and that constant question of asking why not. It's not that way right now. Why is that? Why is it so, right? It doesn't have to be that way. Everything moves forward because at some point someone said, well, why not? And let's do it anyway. So continuing to push beyond those boundaries that, um, that people are placing on you and often in, in a way that is malicious or unfair. So continuing to push beyond that. Thank you. Amy. Um, I'll give a personal story of at the start of the pandemic, I lost my father and I was able to go through his stuff because, you know, of course, we were locked down and we weren't going anywhere. And my, my father kept a bunch of stuff. And so I recall, like, as I was shifting through everything he basically kept, I saw an income statement for my mother uh, when, she, you know, we, they immigrated right before I was born. And so I got to see how much she made, uh, you know, a couple of years as she um, immigrated, after she immigrated here um, to the States. And... For that year, uh, it was like 1983, she made $2,000 total for the year. And it, it just dawned on me, I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, for, for my parents who immigrated here, for, you know, coming from nothing, and, and literally the statement of, of $2,000 on an annual basis, and here I am, you know, just one generation um, later, you know, to, to be able to achieve the success. The, the second thing that I found was a letter that my, my father wrote to his employer at the time of, of um, he had to resign because he, he needed to find better um, employment to, to be able to sustain his, his family of five. And, and the letter was from a, from a restaurant that happened to be the restaurant at the bottom of the building that I was working in uh, of Peachtree Center. And here I was, you know, just exiting the city of Atlanta uh, as commissioner, having to be, you know, the, the office of the floor, uh, several floors up. And so that moment of recognizing both literally and figuratively how far we've come. And then from that moment, I, I both became significantly more appreciative of, of all the successes and recognizing of how I got to those successes. And my ability to break the limits was both the things that I didn't really quite fully appreciate and understand, but all of the kind of other supports, including family and mentors, um, to, to break those limits. Mm. Be Without Limits. That was from this year's Goodwill of North Georgia and Accenture International Women's Day event. You heard from Amy Foyne. Amy Fong, Eric Bo Erica Bolden, Allison Rand, Veronica Lightburn, and Hoi Ming Q. Now, to honor one of our Atlanta's trailblazing journalists and civil rights champion, Zernal Clayton, not only a key aide to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and close friend to Coretta Scott King, but as a journalist, she wrote a column for the Atlanta Voice, and in 1967, she will become the first black person in the South 
to host a regularly scheduled primetime television public affairs and talk show. First called Variations, but soon it would become the Zernona Clayton Show. Well, today, a statute was unveiled in her honor in downtown Atlanta in, of course, Zernona Clayton Plaza. And she was celebrated by more than a dozen guest speakers, including longtime friend, former presidents of Spelman and Bennett College, Janetta Cole. Today I have an exceptional honor and a whole lot of joy in being able to pay tribute to the extraordinary, to the phenomenal. Indeed, I gotta go on a little bit because she is beloved. She is a legend. She is the incomparable Zernona Clayton. Well, it's not just today that we have assembled to pay tribute to my girlfriend, to my sister friend. Today is International Women's Day. The day when around the world, everyone should acknowledge the truth in this saying of the Sioux Nation, the indigenous people of the Great Plains of the United States of America. The saying is, women hold up half of the sky. As I searched for one word, one word that would describe Zanona Clayton, this is the word, Shiro. She is my Shiro because certainly of her exceptional accomplishments, certainly because she is a media maven. But let me tell you, this is why for me Zanona Clayton is a Shiro because she is a woman who exemplifies the African proverb that says, when women lead, streams run uphill. Sister friend, you are my Shiro because you lead with three C's. Courage to always do what is right. Conviction to stay in the struggle for civil rights and women's rights and human rights. And creativity. Oh, your creativity is exemplified, of course, by the founding of the Trumpet Awards. But your creativity is exemplified in everything that you do and in every way that you are. And yes, Zanona Clayton is my Shiro because of her genuine humility and her amazing grace. Sister friend, Zanona, my husband James Staten and I just feel so privileged to have come from where we live in Florida to say this. We love you like the devil loves sin. That's a lot of love. That is Janetta Cole talking about Zernona Clayton. A statute 
unveiled to coincide with part of downtown along Baker and Peachtree Street where there's Zanon Clayton Plaza. Well said, well deserved. You're listening to Closer Look. We're back in a moment. Closer Look continues now from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. For our final segment, marking International Women's Day, we welcome Doris Makungo, president and CEO of the Amani Women's Center located in little old Clarkston, Georgia. And as I often say, it's not the destination, but the journey. And Doris has a story to share. So let's begin with some reflection. Welcome. Thank you, Rose. Good to see you. I've been interviewing you for a long time. (laughs) Over a decade, I think. Yes. Yeah. Let's let's give a little backstory here mm-hmm. because I, I I always am reminded of you know for you you said you saw a need particularly for African women refugees who were here that they were being underserved and and that was the that started a whole lot for you take our listeners through that oh yes um, so my journey started. First of all, coming here as an immigrant woman from Kenya, East Africa. Um, what year was that? 2002, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. Um, time has flown by. <laughs> A starry-eyed um, Kenyan girl um, hopping on a plane to seek uh, higher education. And um, it's been quite a journey ever since. Um, So here we are. I have so much to tell. uh, So I'll just let you prompt me along and just (laughs) kind of, yeah. Let me ask you about your experience as, as someone who was coming to this nation. What we knew what your hopes were, but I want to talk about the resources that were there for you. Did you feel like you had the resources you needed to get started? Uh, Fortunately for me, and uh, your audience is um, in for a treat today because they're going to hear a Southern accent, a British and African accent. Oh, is that what that is? <laughs> um, yeah. So, Georgia meets Kenya, is that what you say? Exactly. <laughs> so I'm, I will be saying um, y'all are in for a treat. Um, so, and as, yeah, so the resources were there, but um, knowing how to tap into them was mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I didn't have that um, knowledge. The um, whole process uh, was daunting. And thinking about it, I speak English and I still couldn't figure out my way mm-hmm. without the help of, um, you know, folks were generous and welcoming. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's uh, that was my journey. And you in turn have turned that into, because you were going to focus on women, now you focus on families. The, when you think about where the Imani Women's Center is now and where it was back then when you first started, wow, talk about a journey. <laughs> yes. Getting I, started. I could pinch myself. It's so, It started in uh, 2007. That's when uh, Imani Women's Center uh, was, uh, you know, came into being. I was very um, excited about uh, finding solutions to needs that I was seeing in a community that I was exposed to Mm. by volunteering at DeKalb County Board of Health. A lot of folks don't know refugees exist. And so that was my exposure to refugees. And, uh, you know, very naively left my corporate job and jumped right into the (laughs) world of refugees. And so Amani started with um, a young lady and a laptop and today we're talking about a whole full-fledged organization yeah. with over 10 employees. So it is amazing. A young lady in a laptop. That's a great 
Hulu, Netflix, <laughs> Prime Video. That's a great story. Thank you. The resources that you are able to provide now, what are you, I know, I know you're proud of all of them, but yeah. what what stands out to you that, that you all are able to do? What's the, what's of all the services you provide? Uh, I would say, first of all, our approach is holistic. Mm-hmm. And so I can't quite pinpoint one thing. Mm-hmm. We're mostly known for our sewing program, yeah, where we teach refugee women sewing skills. Uh, with that, we have wraparound services, and we are helping the women learn financial literacy, computer literacy, English as a second language. Mm-hmm. So we are addressing different economic and health um, inequities. Um, so, you know, the sewing program empowers women to earn um, livable wages. Mm-hmm. They find employment. So we're, what we're really doing is workforce development. Um, they're able to start home-based businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, full disclosure, I have purchased some of those products and I still have them. Thank you. We appreciate that. Um, And others are, you know, we have partnerships with manufacturing companies that are looking for seamstresses. So we're filling that gap. Mm -hmm. Um, It is a lost art. Mm -hmm. Um, So so the women can, you know, find, you know, meaningful employment, earning livable wages, which is very important Mm -hmm. for us um, because they don't have many alternatives. Endorse the importance also because you have women coming from various parts of not just Africa, but but other areas. But there's also an ability for them to maintain some of the, the culture and tradition and the languages, too. How many languages are you all? You got like a lot of languages going on over there. We do have a lot of languages. It's great. It, it is awesome. It looks like the United Nations at the Amani Women's Center. I mean, when you walk into our space, it's... Uh, uh, the idea of Amani, which means peace in Swahili, is a safe space for women mm-hmm. to come to and get nurtured and learn and empowered. Um, so the space uh, is very colorful. You know, it's uh, all different ethnicities. I would say we, our staff speaks over 20 languages. Wow. Um, <laughs> and then the community that we reside and work in, um, Clarkston, uh, is that is touted to be the El, um, Ellis Island of the South over For such 60, a small city, a square got, mile. Yeah, it's got so many different nationalities and ethnicities and over things. sixty yeah, languages. That is something, and yes. the food. I mean, what can I say? Yes, the food options. The food. <laughs> you can't beat. You that. know, Doris. I'm always thinking about food here. Um, yes. but also too, I wanted to focus on the mental health and the emotional well-being services too. Because I think folks, they may recognize it, but sometimes they forget understanding where some of these refugees and immigrants are coming from. Mm. They need that as well as the, the, the other services, but the emotional, mental well-being. And they don't always get that. That's not always top of mind because the focus is on housing and placement and getting the kids in school if they're kids and, and that. But you can't overlook this part of it. Thank you for asking that question, Rose. I feel like Amani Women's Center has been... Uh, you know, mental well-being has been at the forefront of all that we do, especially because we're offering holistic and comprehensive services. So when a woman walks through our doors, she may come in with one thing, but she has layers of other things that we need to um, pay close attention to. Mm-hmm. And so with a staff that is equipped, and I have to brag on our staff of um, international women that are trained in various disciplines, domestic violence advocacy, sexual mm-hmm. assault. Um, they are able to do intensive case management from a culturally specific standpoint. And so that's really important. Um, you know, think about coming to a space where you can actually uh, articulate your needs in a language that you're most comfortable in mm-hmm. and have someone hear you um, and understand not only the language, but culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is... Um, profound. And so we find that we have created a space where women are able to open up and open up not only about themselves, but their families. And so it is, you know, a dynamo effect in that regard. And how often are you reminded or someone comes in and you think that's a, that's a young Doris over there or that's a Doris and you tell 
that woman your story, that young girl your story? Every single day <laughs> that happens. Um, first of all, it begins with our team. Uh, it comprises of some young girls who are in um, college, who are from the very same ethnicities that we're serving, mm-hmm. and who are very much um, encouraged by my story and want to do something uh, you know, similar to what I've done. And then there are moms who are in their program um, who I te- you know, get to share my story with them and encourage them that you know, this is, uh, it can be a daunting journey, but it is doable. And yeah. so, yes, I do see that every single day. Is there a service or a need that you wish you all could have more uh, because you see that, that that folks are coming in, that's what they need, or maybe just from funding standpoint? I mean, look, every time I, I ask someone in a nonprofit world about funding, <laughs> I should know the answer, considering where I work, too, in the space I'm in. But, yeah. you know, is there a need that you feel, God, we could just, we just need to do more of that? So... You know, with COVID, a lot of um, a lot of the issues in a, in communities that are under resourced were exacerbated as a result of the pandemic, and so we have seen our healthy programs, um, uh, our healthy families program grow exponentially because of that need. Mm. Uh, during the pandemic, we had to respond to so many needs in the community. The community was coming to us looking for help with rental assistance, utility assistance, mm-hmm. social services. So that particular program, you know, has grown in capacity. That needs funding, of mm-hmm. course, um, as we have, you know, um, continued to meet those needs. We're talking about inflation now. We're finding folks are still knocking on our door and we yeah. still need to respond to that. Um, so that you know, particular program uh, is 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 needing of funding, but also you know, I, again, like I said, because it's a holistic approach, we also have you know the sewing program is growing. We have a waiting list of women who are. First of all, we have seventy four students right now. Wow! And we have a waiting list of women wanting to join the program, um, because there's uh, what's the challenge? Space or space? Sewing machines. Um, now, you know, know, once you said you need sewing machines, <laughs> I've already got an email from a listener that says, how can they help and volunteer? Yes, seamstresses, are you, are you, you know. Are you saying you need sewing machines? Because I, I, I see, I hear it now. Everybody running down into their basement, getting their grandmothers. Uh-oh. We don't need the old singer from <laughs> no, 1954, no, no, no. although I'm sure it served its purpose, but. <laughs> yes, and we do get quite a few of those. Um, but it's uh I would say our small-scale manufacturing um, aspect of that program is growing. Mm -hmm. So we're looking more at investing in industrial sewing machines that are preparing these women to get into the workforce. And so, um, yeah, so those kind of things. uh, There is always need for, you know, general operating Mm -hmm. support. Yeah. I I suspect that the emails will continue to come come through as we wrap up doors when you think back to wow when you first arrived here in georgia and someone has said you know what you're going to take this experience and you're going to start this amani women's center and you know you're going to be talking to rose scott well you probably didn't envision that but <laughs> the work that you've done you all have done with this collective did you ever believe that all this would happen Ooh, no not at all i honestly had no idea um, that my personal experience would translate into a personal and professional mission, you know, and they're totally intertwined. And, you know, my life's mission um, is very much um, fulfilling, of course. I, uh, my heart is full. I, I am driven by gratitude of folks who have come alongside to support and um we're always looking for folks to come alongside us to push us along. So, yeah, thank you. Wow! And so you're gonna do this? This this is your this is your life's work. This is it. Wow. Um, now, I mentioned food. So, if you need, <laughs> there's a program over there that involves food. Make sure you 
Well, I did bring you some samosas. Uh, now, see, I didn't ask. I saw no, you the, didn't. I saw the bags. I, I wasn't bring... sure. <laughs> I, I just wanted to make sure that you behaved yourself before I <laughs> give you that. <laughs> Doris Makungo, president and CEO of the Amani Women's Center. Thank you so much. I've, I've played such a small role in just being able to document your journey uh, years ago. And thank you for all the work that you've been doing and your staff all these years. Empowering so many women. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rose. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. And that's it for this special edition of Closer Look, marking International Women's Day. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, and Tiffany Griffith is our supervising producer. Our engineer is Soya Vanderworth. A reminder, let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org, and we'll have links to all the organizations that you heard about today. If you missed any of today's program, it's always online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And, of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast because it's free. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. change from shifts in power to a mental health crisis so with all this social change how do we balance the human desire for empathy the business need for productivity and the hope to make an impact in our community this is a new podcast the social impact leader i'm jeff Barker. join me as we explore people doing work a little different available every wednesday at wabe.org forward slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts wabe Ever wondered where to find the best dumplings in town? Curious about Atlanta's obsession with lemon pepper? Join us on Savory Stories, a new podcast as we uncover the untold tales behind Atlanta's culinary scene. From the roots of your favorite dishes to the creators that bring them to life, we're diving deep into the heart of the city's food culture. Listen to Savory Stories at wabe.org slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E.